please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Today is part two in our mini-series, The Gospel of Isaiah. The Gospel of Isaiah. As you're opening your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, I just want to draw our attention to Mission Sunday, October 27th. We have a, a special missionary, a special missions luncheon following. Um, Kirsten's going to be sharing at the luncheon um, what God has called her to, where she'll be going, um, serving in the Middle East. want to encourage you, if you haven't already signed up for the luncheon, you can do that. Um, and um, the North Foyer or the West Foyer or by calling the church main office. Father, I pray over these next couple of minutes as we look to you in your holy word, I pray through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak, Lord, through me today, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that we would have hearts ready to receive your word, ears, Lord, attentive to what you say to us today through your word. Be glorified, I pray, through the preaching of your word. May the body here be strengthened, built up, and edified in their faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 is today's main scripture text. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. I'd like to begin with a little background to our text. Isaiah was a prophet but not just any prophet. Some would say he was the greatest prophet in Israel. He was a statesman who spoke for God. He prophesied during a time of great crisis, during a time of great chaos, during a time of intense moral decline. He prophesied during a time when God's people were turning their backs on him. The northern kingdom of Israel was taken captive. The southern kingdom was under attack by Assyria. There were, these were unstable times, to say the least. Difficult times, to say the least, for God's people, the Israelites. Now, in the midst of these very difficult times, there came along a king. His name was Uzziah. He's mentioned in verse 1. Uzziah reigned for a long time, 52 years. Can you imagine that? 52 years. He began his reign when he was only 16 years old. Overall, he was a good king. In 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 3 says, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. In 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 5, 
It says he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Uzziah also led Israel in military victories over the Philistines and other neighboring nations. He was a strong king. He he was a builder. He, He was a planner and strong military leader. Second Chronicles chapter 26 verse 8 says, his fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt. He was a successful king who brought a time of peace and he provided the people a great sense of security by turning Jerusalem into a fortified city that was well equipped to defend itself against um, their enemies if necessary. He developed agriculture and commerce It was a prosperous time for Israel under this king's reign. But when the king died, when the king died, there was a feeling of panic that began to set in. Fear gripped their hearts. Several Bible scholars believe that the fear was probably the greatest in the heart of the God-fearing Jews. There was a growing spiritual complacency among the nation, which happens when things are going well. It's true of us. When things are going well for us, it's easy for us to fall into spiritual complacency. Can I hear an amen or an oh me? As you read through the entire book of Isaiah, you pick up on a defiant kind of idolatry and disobedience. These God-fearing Jews knew even under King Uzziah's reign, there was a spiritual and moral decline. Under this amazing king doing amazing thing, all this, there was a spiritual and moral decline. Now that the king has died, who's going to keep everything from completely falling apart at the seams? Isaiah's chapters two through five chronicle some of the terrible sins the people of God were committing. Sadly, as you read the story of Uzziah, his life ended tragically. In Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16 says, but when he was strong, prosperous, his heart was lifted up, pride set in. To his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord. The Lord allowed Uzziah to be struck with leprosy, and he lived the rest of his life in isolation until his death. What a tragic, what a sad ending to a great king. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall really sense in my spirit this week in prayer and preparation that somebody here needed to hear Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So to say in the year that King Uzziah died is to say a lot. Isaiah had a great reason to be discouraged and even disillusioned at the death of King Uzziah. A great king had passed away. And he passed away so tragically. Why did the Lord permit it? Where was the Lord in all of this? Now with this background in mind, we'll understand verse one. In the year 
that we lost our human king. In the year that we lost our human king, I saw the real king. For Isaiah, the outlook was bleak. His beloved king had died. His nation was in serious trouble and he could do very little about it. A great king may have left his throne on earth, but the greatest king, and I want to emphasize, but the greatest king was still seated on the throne of heaven. Isaiah 1.1 says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The outlook may have been bleak, but the upward vision God gave Isaiah was glorious to say the least. Isn't it great to know, church, That when the whole world is falling apart and everything seems to be going to pieces, God is still on the throne. Isn't it great, church? God is still on the throne, ruling and reigning over all creation. Panic goes away and is replaced with heaven's peace when you know God is still on the throne. This is a needed word for us today. Heaven's throne is not empty. God has things under control. Now, there are many things that block our vision of God. Many things. We feel secure in our jobs. We feel secure in our marriages and homes. We feel secure in our health. We feel secure in our retirement funds. All good things, but they're things that can block our vision of God. We don't always realize how much our happiness and peace and security comes from depending on all these things and many more that make us feel secure and safe. When things are going well, we don't always see God. When the cupboards are full of food, We don't always realize our lack of dependency upon the Lord until we lose our job. Until we become ill. Until an election doesn't go the way we had hoped. Until chaos hits our homes. We ask ourselves, what are we going to do now? How will we survive? The earthly throne is empty. Uzziah had held things together. What will happen now? The enemies of Israel are threatened to attack. Isaiah looked to God and received a vision of God. He was sitting on the throne. Heaven's throne was not empty. God has everything under control. Someone needs to hear this today. Look beyond your earthly circumstances and see the Lord sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning over your life. He has everything under control. The vision Isaiah received of the throne of God is breathtakingly amazing. He sees the Lord sitting on a throne with seraphim, Angelic beings on either side and one angelic being called to another angelic being and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
the repetitive emphasis on holy captures the depth and breadth of God's holiness. It's as if I were to say, I saw this guy at Wegmans who was tall, tall, tall. You would know right away that this was not an average big guy like Pastor Dan. In fact, because of my, repeti- my, rep- my repetition, my repetitive emphasis on the word tall, you would imagine in your mind that this guy was the tallest guy I had ever saw in my life. In the same way, holy, holy, holy is meant to stretch the boundaries of our imaginations. Church, whatever we think of when we hear that God is holy, we need to know that God is in an entirely different category of holiness. The words holy, holy, holy are crafted under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The prophet Isaiah didn't choose these repetitive words by himself. God is unlike anything or anyone you have ever encountered. In the Hebrew language, intensity is communicated by repetition. When something is incredibly important, it is mentioned twice. When you read through the Gospel of John, you'll notice Jesus saying, verily, verily, 25 different times when communicating something extremely, and I emphasize extremely important and true. Jesus repeats twice, verily, verily. In Acts chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus uh, says to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? The double emphasis on Saul's name is meant to grab his full attention. It communicates the importance of the Damascus Road encounter he had with the resurrected and ascended Christ. Jesus has something very important to say to Saul. To say the Lord is holy is to say something. To say he is holy, holy says something far more. But to say it three times in a row, holy, 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 is off the charts. To say holy, holy, holy is the Lord is to declare his holiness is, is, is in the highest possible degree. This is the only attribute of God that is mentioned in the scriptures three times. Nowhere you will find another attribute repeated three times. You won't find the attribute of of love, 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 peace, peace, peace. This is the only attribute of God that is mentioned in the scriptures three times. Once in the Old Testament, here in today's text, in Isaiah 6, and once in the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Let me read it. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. John, on the island of Patmos, has a vision of the throne room of God. 
This is what he sees. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Both times, both times, holy, holy, holy is spoken or sung by, by heavenly angelic beings. Both times. Both times it occurs in a vision of a man who was transported to the throne of God. First by the prophet Isaiah and then by the apostle John. You see the two visions of the angels around the throne singing holy, holy, holy clearly communicates that God is is the same in both the Old and New Testament. And this is critically, critically important. Often people think of the God of the Old Testament as a God of wrath and the God of the New Testament as a God of love. I'm sure you've had those conversations with people. But Isaiah and John present a unified picture of a holy, majestic, and awesome God who does not change. In fact, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, the author of Hebrews, he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When the angels around the throne call or cry to one another, holy, 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 they are expressing with force and passion the truth of the supreme holiness of God. The essential characteristic attribute which expresses his awesome and majestic nature. This is the most important thing about God. God's holiness is his defining characteristic. It's who he is. He is holy. He is holy. The term holy comes from a Hebrew word which means to cut or to separate. At its root meaning is the idea of apartness. It de- describes someone or something which is set apart from other people or things. And so to be holy means to be set apart, distinct from anything that has ever existed or will ever exist. You see, the Lord occupies a moral space that no one has ever occupied before. On this side of heaven, church on this side of heaven, we have no experience or frame of reference to understand what he is like because there is nothing like him in the world. Nothing. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? God is set apart from creation. He's set apart from creation, from all created beings. He set apart from you. He set apart from me. Pat is not the standard, and neither are you or the person sitting on your right or your left. Now, we like to make ourselves the standard, and we judge everyone based on us being the standard. 
Remember that passage in Proverbs? God is set apart from creation in that God is not a created being. God exists outside of creation. If all of creation were to dissolve right now, God would remain. He is set apart from humanity in that his nature is divine, not human. God is not a superman or the ultimate man. God is not the the guy upstairs, as some would say. And I must add, disrespectfully say. God is not just simply smarter than any man. Stronger than any man. Better than any man. You can't measure God on man's chart at all. He is divine. We are human. We are created beings. This means that the one who is holy is uniquely holy with no rivals or competition. God is holy in every attribute and action. God's justice is a holy justice. God's love is a holy love. God's mercy is a holy mercy. God's anger, yes, God's anger is a holy anger. God's grace is a holy grace. God's faithfulness is a holy faithfulness. God's compassion is a holy compassion. In a world that seems out of control, that seems so evil, where wrong seems to be rewarded and right often seems to be punished, it's vital to remember the holiness of God. The Lord is ruling from his throne. Can I hear a big amen? What he does is always right. What he says is always true. What he promises, he will always deliver. Can I hear a big amen, church? Evil is not in control. I want to emphasize once again, evil is not in control. It might appear that evil is in control, but I have news for you today. Evil is not in control. The throne of heaven is not empty. There is a ruling king. He rules and reigns. He's the sovereign God, king of the universe, heaven and earth. Injustice does not rule. Corruption is not king. Satan will not have the victory. God is and will always be worthy of your trust for this one reason and this one reason alone. He is holy. He is holy. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, God does not conform to a standard. God is that standard. In a time of great distress, Isaiah had an upward vision. He writes in verse one of our text, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. 
Isaiah saw that God is in control. God is in control. A great king may have left his throne on earth, but the greatest king was still seated on the throne of heaven. Psalms 146 verses 3 and 4 says, Do not put your trust in princesses, nor in a son of man, a created being, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to earth. In that very day, his plans perish. His plans perish. Someone needs to hear this today. Especially in this partisan political climate. In the midst of all the chaos and distress, Isaiah saw that God is in control. What do you see? Isaiah saw that God was in control. What do you see? In the midst of all the chaos, the hatred, the partisan politics, What do you see? Do you see what Isaiah saw? The Lord sitting on the throne. The sovereign God, heaven and earth, ruling and reigning, who's in control. Isaiah saw that God is everlasting. The glory of Uzziah had faded. But the glory of God remains forever. Isaiah 9, 7 says that of his kingdom there will be no end. Of his kingdom there will be no end. There's an ending to the Kingdoms of this world and of the kings who sit on the thrones of those kingdoms. But of the kingdom of God, there will be no end. Earthly kings come and go. There was and is and always will be only one heavenly king. Isaiah saw that God is everlasting. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. As we all know well, life is full of changes. It was in the midst of, of a major change. Isaiah saw that God is everlasting. I ask you today, What do you see? What do you see? Isaiah saw that God is worthy of praise. In the midst of chaos and distress, in the midst of major change, Isaiah saw that God is worthy of praise. 
worthy of praise. Turn, please, to Psalms 145. Psalms 145. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Isaiah saw that God is worthy of praise. In all the chaos, in the midst of great change, Isaiah saw that God is worthy of praise. The psalmist pens under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I will, exalt, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall. He raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will heal their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak of the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and Ever. In the midst of all the major changes going on, Isaiah saw that God is worthy of praise. In the midst of the uncertainties of life, the chaos and distress. Isaiah saw that God is worthy of praise. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Isaiah had an upward vision. He saw the Lord. 
He had an inward vision. He saw his sin. And thirdly, Isaiah had an outward vision. He saw the lost. Next week, I'm going to deal with Isaiah's inward vision and outward vision. I ask you today, would you join me standing? I ask you today, what do you see? Do you see the Lord sitting on the throne in control? What do you see? Maybe you don't see the Lord. May I ask you, what's blocking your view of the Lord? And if you know the answer to that question, I want to encourage you to ask God for special grace from heaven today to give you the strength, the courage, the boldness to say, God, I take this and I remove it today. So my view of you no longer is blocked. Maybe there's an idol that you need to surrender today. Or maybe it's just a lack of praise coming from your lips for the job you have, the health you have, the marriage you have, the family you have, the good in your life. Maybe it's a prayer of asking God to forgive you for your forgetfulness that all these good things in your life come from the hand of God and and there's been no praise coming from your lips. As the worship team leads us in this chorus, you're invited to come to the altar. You can pray right where you're standing. Maybe you're here today and you've never received the gift of of, of God's free gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life that, that Jesus secured for us when he died on the cross and he uttered these words, it is finished. The payment that was, that was due your sin and my sin was paid in full through the death of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ three days later is proof that his sacrifice, his death was a perfect sacrifice, a, a perfect death acceptable to God. And the resurrection is an exclamation point from heaven. Amen. I encourage you to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, we live in this age of grace. The abundant grace of God is being offered to you and to me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We can't save ourselves. The word of God invites us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and cast all our cares upon him because he cares for you, for me. The mighty hand of God.
It's a saving hand. It's a hand that delivers and sets free. That transforms. That takes our messes. And makes them like they've never happened before. We can't do it. We can't fix them. But there's a strong hand of God who offers his grace today. Let's sing with the worship team. The altars are open. We'd love to pray with you. You can call on him right where you're sitting, right where you're standing. He hears you right where you are. Reach out to him. Let's let's spend some time with him in response to his word today before we say the final amen.